Welcome to Extraordinary People, the podcast that highlights people who inspire others, have made significant contributions to the world, or who have overcome adversity. This show is hosted by Shirley Wachtel, author, educator, wife, mother, and grandparent. Learn more and subscribe today at ShirleyWachtel.com. And now, here's my grandma, Shirley Wachtel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Extraordinary People. Today, we have Dr. Amy Rothenberg. Amy has practiced neuropathic medicine since 1986. The American Association of Neuropathic Physicians 2017 Physician of the Year. She spearheaded the successful licensure of naturopathic doctors in Massachusetts. She was the longtime medical editor for the Institute of Natural Medicine and has written and lectured widely about the benefits of preventive, natural, and whole person medicine. When diagnosed with cancer in 2014, Dr. Rothenberg sought care at a renowned teaching hospital and also added naturopathic doctors who specialize in integrative oncology to create her medical dream team. Her book, You Finished Treatment, Now What? A Field Guide for Cancer Survivors is a roadmap for lifestyle and natural medicine to address health challenges that persist after care and to reduce risk of recurrence. So welcome, Amy. I'm so happy to be speaking with you today. Thank you so much for having me. So um, I have so many questions. So I think what we'll start with is the one that's uppermost in my mind and maybe uh, our listeners as well. And that is what actually is naturopathic medicine? Excellent question. And that is the correct pronunciation, naturopathic. Naturopathic medicine is basically an approach to healthcare practiced by trained naturopathic doctors. Naturopathic doctors go to undergraduate college and have the same prerequisites for getting into naturopathic medical school. And then in the first year, naturopathic doctors study everything about how the body functions in normal. So anatomy, physiology, biochemistry, histology, which is the study of cells, including working on cadavers and learning firsthand how the human body works. In the second year, we take up the study of pathology, how things go, if you will, sideways, and all the ways that we determine and diagnose illness from taking a complete intake of the person's current and past medical history, doing a full body physical or relevant physical based on a person's complaint, and then in, and using diagnostic imaging as indicated and laboratory work as indicated. And then instead of focusing our treatments on pharmaceuticals and simply addressing symptoms, naturopathic doctors like to address root cause of illness, try to get to the bottom of what is causing problems. Our philosophy includes treating the whole person, so cognitively, emotionally, and physically, as opposed to just physical symptoms that might be present. And then the whole concept of doctor as teacher, where the doctor is able to share lifestyle approaches and natural medicine approaches that can be employed to help address symptoms that you have. And then the whole idea is to stimulate the inherent 
inborn gift that we all have toward healing. We all have tremendous capacities for healing when given the correct environment, the correct food, and some gentle stimulation and support with natural medicine approaches. Now, that can include everything from the exercise prescription to mindfulness meditation, gratitude practice recommendation, to therapeutic nutrition, of course, through food first, supplementation second, the use of botanical or herbal medicines as indicated, and other natural medicine approaches that we use. Naturopathic doctors work in conjunction with conventional medical doctors. I refer out and accept referrals from a wide range of family practice doctors as well as specialists. And increasingly, naturopathic medicine is being recognized, and as people might know, medicine in America is licensed and overseen state by state. There are state licensing boards for medical doctors, for nurses, for chiropractors, for acupuncturists, and increasingly for naturopathic physicians. So there are now about 30 states that license naturopathic doctors, including Puerto Rico, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and Washington, D.C. And so we are making our uh, profession known and understood. And many people are looking for a fresh perspective. They, they don't feel great. They may be taking four or five or six medications and they don't really feel too good. Maybe they're, they have a little bit of cognitive decline. They have a little brain fog. They're fatigued. They feel achy. They don't have any, you know, uh, pep in their, in their step, uh, as, as well as people who have actual diagnoses, everything from really acute kind of problems, like let's say a swimmer's ear or a bad cough or COVID, um, two people that have the more chronic illnesses, the top three, of course, are heart disease, diabetes, and cancer, um, but everything in between from autoimmune diseases and allergies to digestive complaints. These are the typical people that I would see in my practice, folks who kind of fall through the cracks of conventional medicine, where conventional medicine can offer a whole lot, but not, not for every person with every presenting set of problems and challenges. And in the realm of cancer, I am 100% behind conventional cancer care. I have had major surgeries, chemotherapy, radiation, immunotherapy. I, I believe in it all. I know I am alive because of conventional medicine. And I use natural medicine at the same time, naturopathic approaches with the guidance of colleagues of my own to enhance efficacy of conventional care and to prevent side effects that typically arise. And then a few side effects that did arise to address those. And then the focus and topic of my book is really what I like to call, quote unquote, mopping up after conventional cancer care. Because a lot of times people, you know, the, the patient does uh, great in terms of the cancer, but they don't feel well in many other ways, whether it's peripheral neuropathy or lymphedema or brain fog or problems with sleep digestive complaints, there are natural medicine approaches that we can use side by side with conventional cancer care. So that is, that's basically naturopathic medicine in a nutshell. There's a lot more to say about it. Um, I'll just say that for me, I found the profession as a very young person in my late teens. I uh, was very blessed to just come across people who were in the world of naturopathic medicine. And I aligned my education to land myself at Naturopathic Medical School in 1982. Um, and I have never looked back. And I, it, for me personally, it just hit all the high marks for 
something that could be keep my interest for an entire career and enable me to help a lot of people and educate people, both patients and also people in the medical world, to try to open, uh, create more openness and communication between conventional medicine and the more natural integrative medicine that I practice. Okay. Um, so it's, it seems like you've really cleared up a lot of misconceptions about naturopathic medicine. It's certainly not a voodoo science of any sort. That's correct. In fact, my book, I think that it's a, the book is about 260 pages and there are 360 plus references in my book. Anything that I recommend, anything that I suggest, anything that I put forth as a possible solution to challenging issues, I have a PubMed reference. Now, what that means is the medical research world, when studies are done, they are published uh, in, in whatever medical journal they're published in. You've heard of many of them, I'm sure. New England Journal of Medicine, The Lancet, the British Medical Journal, et cetera. And that, there's a compendium online of all articles published in the conventional medical world. So I reference articles from PubMed. That, that means that they have been peer-reviewed. It, you can't just say something happened because you saw it in your practice. Peer-reviewed studies. And I cite those because I want people to have confidence that what I'm recommending, and I can give you an example. You know, some people say to me, well, what's the number one treatment for fatigue after cancer care? Because about, many people have fatigue during care, and a lot of people, about 80% of people have fatigue in the first year, but 20% of people have fatigue five years out, regardless of what their diagnosis was, what their treatment was, and how they tolerated it. So that's a pretty big number. People people well often ask me, what is the, the, what's the single best thing I could do to, to address my fatigue? And there have been study after study after study that show that exercise is the number one treatment for cancer-related fatigue. And people say, well, I don't have any, I don't have any energy. I I'm so tired, I can't exercise. I'm like, this is one moment where you're going to have to sort of force yourself and start slow. Give yourself small, I would say, achievable goals. Get the health spiral going in the positive direction. But when I mention that in my book, I back it up with several studies, big long-term studies with a lot of people in them so that I can really get people's ear with the correct information at the correct moment in time. Yeah, and, and you can certainly attest to, to everything you've told me, um, having gone through this yourself. And, and I think right. that, we call, we call that, we call that makes you more empathetic. Yeah, we, we, I have a lot more street cred, that's for sure. Since I went to treatment in 2014, I had back-to-back -back breast and ovarian cancer in one year, and it was not a very fun year. But I, I will say that this is what we call speaking from both sides of the Johnny. And, um, yeah, I, I love working with cancer patients and reminding people that, you know, the American Cancer Society for, for decades said that one in four people in America was going to get cancer. And now they have made that number one in three moving toward one in two when you include skin cancer. So that's an enormous number. And that also means there's an enormous number of survivors because treatments have improved. Many cancer diagnoses are not the death sentence that they once were. Treatments are much more geared to the individual. Now, we're now better able to harness our own immune systems to fight against cancer. Not that we still aren't, there still aren't indications for chemotherapy and radiation, absolutely, but we, we are making great strides in the conventional medical world. And I also think that 
adding the naturopathic piece, it, it helps with quality of life during care and after, as well as with health outcomes. Right. Um, so um, I'm curious, uh, how long has naturopathic medicine been around? Why did it begin? You know, if you could give us a little bit of the history and also what particular training is needed? How is, and how is this training different from that of a uh, traditional medical physician? Right. Very good. Great question. And I would say that naturopathic doctors are probably more of the traditional providers. I call the conventional medical world conventional providers uh, because so much of naturopathic medicine comes from millennial, millennia, um, millennium uh, uh, history of practices that people use. The, the history of the modern naturopathic medicine began in the 1960s. There were uh, a group of physicians, uh, they were mostly in the chiropractic field, who knew of naturopathic medicine. Naturopathic medicine brought together different natural therapies to help stimulate the body's ability to heal itself, to treat the whole person, to focus on doing no harm. And in the 1970s, there was a real resurgence of interest in this that went along with a lot of other progressive ideas of the time. Um, The naturopathic school, the first naturopathic school in America was the National College of Naturopathic Medicine, of which I'm a graduate in Portland, Oregon. Um, And since then, graduates of that school have started schools in Seattle, Bastyr University, in Arizona, the Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine, in Vancouver, the Boucher Institute of Natural Medicine. There's also a naturopathic medical school in Toronto and a a few others. So the history is that when I graduated as a naturopathic doctor in 1986, there were six states that licensed naturopathic doctors and there was one school. Now there are eight schools and about 30 states. So we are gradually making our, our way into the medical landscape, which I think is a, a, a needed, it's a needed piece. And at the same time, this is so true, simultaneously, conventional medicine, very big shift and turns slowly, but is moving toward more natural integrative approaches. You know, when my father, may he rest in peace, died at 48 in 1972 of a heart attack, he was overweight, had high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and his only medication, his only treatment from his doctor was blood pressure, pressure medicine. Now, if you walked into a doctor and you had risk factors for cardiovascular disease now, the very first thing they would talk to you about is the importance of exercise and diet. There would, of course, be a, a bunch of drugs, too, and there are other ways of approaching heart disease that, that may include drugs, but natural medicine approaches that are quite effective. So we, we know that the, the big ship of conventional medicine is interested. They're leaning in. They're doing more research. And that, this is all a good thing. The things that I've been prescribing for 36 years in my practice finally have some good research to back them up because there's more money in the conventional medical world, the conventional research world to test things. Like, for instance, um, I've been prescribing probiotics for many decades now for both the treatment of digestive complaints, but also with an understanding that there's a very clear gut-brain connection. And so for depression, anxiety, irritability, probiotics can be very, very helpful. And I've been saying that for a long time. Now there is wonderful research to back up that concept. Um, In terms of the training of a naturopathic doctor, I mentioned briefly prerequisites to get into naturopathic medical school are exactly the same as to get into medical school. 
There are a few additional uh, prerequisites that are needed, including classes in psychology uh, and a few others. And then the Naturopathic Medical Education is a four-year in-residence full-time medical school. In the second year, we begin our clinical work on a strictly outpatient basis, where we're working under the supervision of other licensed medical doctors, naturopathic doctors, et cetera. And there are, there's a 2,200 hours of clinical work, I believe is the, the current, current um, threshold. And there are courses in everything we, I talked about earlier, you know, that how the body works in normal, how we determine how things have gone wrong, learning laboratory diagnosis, x-ray diagnosis, physical and clinical diagnosis, of course. And then instead of focusing our education on surgical interventions and pharmaceutical approaches, we work with the natural medicine approaches that are known to stimulate the body's inherent healing capacities. So things like nutrition, things like botanical medicine, homeopathy, acupuncture with additional training, use of hydrotherapy, water therapy, the exercise prescription, and then things related to what I like to call the head game. What are we doing to get the mind working on our behalf on our physical body and our emotional state. So the, the education, it's a beautiful education in my mind because it brings together many aspects of conventional medicine with the integrative approaches that we know increasingly are both needed but also effective. And then in order to be licensed in America, you need to take and pass the, uh, it's called NPLEX, it's the NPLEX, NPLEX exam, that is a um, comprehensive exam examination, basically making sure that you learned what you needed to learn in naturopathic medical school. And then, of course, you need to be uh, go through a Corey check and have all that kind of stuff done like any medical provider would need. And then there's a, a ample continuing education requirements for naturopathic doctors across the board. And there are specialty areas of continuing education that are essential every year or two, depending on the state, things like uh, topics of suicide prevention, treatment of pain, ethics courses, et cetera, in addition to uh, a, a wide range of requirements for ongoing education. So you, you mentioned the uh, specialty aspect of this. Are there specialists in naturopathic medicine, such as, you know, we have orthopedists and we have an, and so forth. Yes, absolutely. There, there are. And I would say that the specialty organizations, which are under the umbrella of the American Association of Naturopathic Doctors, they have, they sort of oversee a lot of things for our profession, including our specialty organizations. So we have specialty organizations in endocrinology, in pediatrics, in oncology, in physical medicine, in dermatology, in psychology. So yes, we have specialty organizations. We also have specialty organizations based on modality. So we have specialty organizations for homeopathy, for botanical medicine, for hands-on approaches related a lot to physical, uh, things like arthritis, et cetera. So specialty organizations are a big part of our work and many naturopathic doctors do specialize. I myself am more of a general practitioner I like to see patients across a wide range of ages, from pregnant moms to, to little ones and families, all the way up to, you know, people of all ages and, and, and the elderly. I, I like the variety myself, but there are many naturopathic doctors who do specialize, uh, the specialty organization in fertility as well. So, yeah, we are, 
a, a diverse group of people who have interests, like just like in the medical world, have particular interests in uh, specific areas sometimes. Okay, so if someone were to uh, come in and you know being is being treated, uh, would they be able to request such a doctor, or is it more likely that a doctor might suggest this, or is this just something that's not as not as common um, for doctors to be aware of and let their patients know about. And and also along with that, more a practical um, question is, um, is, would this be covered uh, by insurance for a patient? Yes. Yeah. I think increasingly medical doctors, osteopathic doctors, chiropractors have become aware of the naturopathic profession. And if they have a naturopathic doctor in their community, they might well refer to them particularly with a patient who has fallen through the cracks and conventional medicine is either not working or not working well enough, or if that patient seems to have an openness and an interest uh, in using more natural approaches to healing, lifestyle approaches to healing, more emphasis on prevention. And I should say here that preventive medicine is, is the best because we, we, it's much easier to prevent illness than it is to treat it in the, for the vast majority of diagnoses. So, we have so much power, and some of that falls into more of a public health area when we address the determinants of health, access to healthy food, access to safe places to exercise, um, et cetera. This all becomes part of the equation of both public and individual health. In terms of insurance coverage, oh, before I, before I do that, if anybody on the call is interested in finding a naturopathic doctor in your area, the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians maintains a find a doctor feature on their website. So you can find that on the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians website. And then every state also has a, an organization, a local statewide organization of naturopathic doctors. So you can type in your state. Like if, I, I think we're, uh, you have a large following in the New York area, the NYANP, New York Association of Naturopathic Physicians. Um, they have an annual conference every year that I often speak at, which which is so fun to, to be able to be in the city. But the, um, the NYANP maintains a find a doctor feature on their website as well. Depending on the state that a, a naturopathic doctor is licensed in and the rules and regulations in that state, increasingly naturopathic doctors' services are being covered by insurance. If you live in a state that does not yet license naturopathic doctors, so for instance, New York is in a legislative effort as we speak to gain licensure. But at this point, if they are not licensed, they will not be covered by insurance. There are many naturopathic doctors in states that have long licensed us, Vermont, New Hampshire, Connecticut, Washington, Oregon, Hawaii, Alaska, where naturopathic medicine services are covered to more or less extent. How about New Jersey, which is where I live? New Jersey is also in a legislative effort. They do not yet license naturopathic doctors. But I would say to you that if you're interested in seeing naturopathic doctors licensed in New Jersey, the very best way to help that effort is to be in touch with the New Jersey Association of Naturopathic Physicians. And they can tell you exactly how you can help. <laughs> by calling, by calling as your, your senator when a bill has been introduced, by donating money to the effort to pay for lobbyists. There, I, I know this terrain intimately because I spearheaded the effort, the successful effort, I should say, to license naturopathic doctors in the state of Massachusetts, which, you know, is, has just been such a joy and such a 
a pleasure to finally be able to practice in my home state here. Okay. So, um, you know, this, uh, you really opened my eyes here um, to this field. Uh, and I think it's something that's um, that's really needed more and more as the public becomes aware, especially, you know, recently we've heard about doctors uh, treating anxiety, you know, on, an, on a regular basis, you know, in the wake of uh, the pandemic. And it seems more like your focus is on the whole individual and the course of the disease, not just, uh, you know, preventative and during and then afterward, after some kind of aftercare. Um, and what I'd like, Amy, is for you to um, tell us about um, someone's story, uh, someone's story of success. Our, our listeners always like to hear these personal tales. Um, someone perhaps that you have treated and um, has had successful results. You bet. Um, I'm thinking about a young woman in my practice who was about 40, and I had been treating her for several years. Her chief complaint was anxiety and panic disorder. She also had irritable bowel syndrome and pretty severe PMS, as well as uh, her skin. She, she, had, she had adult acne that really, really troubled her. So one of the things that she was most terrified of was getting cancer. She just, for some reason, you know, she, she didn't have a family history hadn't known anybody close to herself or her family with cancer, but she was sort of terrified of having cancer. She also was afraid to go to the dentist. She couldn't fly. She was terrified to be alone at night in the dark. She had a lovely husband and a lovely child, a small child at that time when I first started seeing her. So we worked together really in a very general way to address her anxiety, her PMS, her ill bowel syndrome, and her skin. For me, a lot of her problems began and ended with anxiety. We have a whole thing in our, in our human systems and in the animal system as well called psychoneuroimmunology. So your mind affects your nervous system and your nervous system affects your immune system and around and around we go. And in that, we also have the hormonal system where somebody who's in a constant state of stress and worry and anxiety, the adrenal glands get burned out. And they can't continuously put up this big fight as if we were being chased by a bear down the street. So we have the stress and then we have the stress response. And the stress response can go on and on and on, even when the stress is no longer there. And if a person who has a lot of anxiety, they can live in a state of heightened stress. And this is very problematic and it impacts all of our organ systems and all of our hormonal systems, which are quite interrelated. So the first thing that we did was she began to meditate. I brought to her a number of apps on the phone that are very helpful for introduction to meditation. Two of the ones that I often recommend are Headspace and the, the Daily Calm. It's, it's an app called Calm, and I don't have any financial relationship to either of those, but they're very good for entry-level short meditation. I also have her begin a gratitude practice. We know that when people focus in on what they are grateful for and thankful for. It's a way to get them away from the stress and the worry and anxiety they have. And gratitude practice can take many forms. It can be around dinner time with your family or partner if you have them. Everybody says three things they're thankful for. It can be a journal. It can be a gratitude jar where you write things on little pieces of paper. There are, there are many, many ways to do gratitude practice 
and it's been shown to really help with both anxiety and depression. I also gave her the recommendation to use lavender essential oil. I know about that. Yeah, we used uh, I we used uh, lavender actually uh, this past summer. Um, we visited the lavender fields in Provence, which was wonderful. I think I bought up the whole store, but I remember <laughs> using lavender lotions on my mom when uh, she was going through Alzheimer's several years ago. So that that's a great thing. Yeah, so we'd like to diffuse the lavender oil. And then I also shared with her that the number one treatment for anxiety is exercise. It raises our threshold for feeling anxiety. It dissipates the anxiety we have and it helps us be better perfused so the blood is moving around better across all of the body, including the brain, and this also helps with anxiety. She was a very sedentary person with a sedentary job, so we had her commit to 2,000 steps a day, uh, which is pretty achievable for most people, and by the end of about six months, she was up to 8,000 steps a day, and then she decided she was going to take a tap dance class. She was a former tap dancer, so just emphasizing and encouraging and cajoling and supporting and applauding any movement toward more movement is important in the treatment of anxiety. Then we worked with her diet. She was eating a, what I would call uh, a typical American diet that was filled with a lot of prepared foods too high in salt, a lot of foods that were very sugary, too high in sugar, not enough lean proteins, not enough healthy fat, not enough fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds. So we gradually shifted her diet. The first thing she did was she committed to decreasing her coffee intake. Now, coffee on its own, it's the number one source of antioxidants in the American diet. It's a, it's a beautiful antioxidant, which serves to help prevent all kinds of illnesses. But if you have anxiety, if you have palpitations, if you have an irritated bladder, if you have hypertension, Coffee is not good for you because it, it irritates and exacerbates all of those things. Let me just interrupt for a moment. Um, how about decaffeinated coffee, which is what I, I'm having a cup right now. Good for you. Decaf has the same benefits in terms of the antioxidants and is much more tolerable for people with those kinds of complaints. However, I would say that all decaf coffee has some caffeine left in it. So if you are really struggling with any of the things I mentioned, then that would probably not be the best drink. Um, so she was, she was also, she was drinking a lot of coffee because her in, anxiety was causing insomnia. So she was having that not sleeping enough, being exhausted all day, using coffee as a way to correct for that. I had her agree to one cup of coffee a day and to chase it with a glass of water, lots of exercise. We tidied up the diet. And then I gave her... Uh, a particularly uh, well-formulated probiotic to help with the IBS she was experiencing. And of course, as she organized her diet better and ate more foods that were prebiotic, which your, your probiotics, natural probiotics in your system need in order to function. Prebiotics are high fiber foods. So vegetables, fruits, whole grains. Her IBS resolved almost immediately with a shift in diet. So that was wonderful. And I also encouraged her to start doing something for other people. It's kind of funny um, to get her out of her own head. So we sat down at, in our office. I took out my computer. We looked at volunteer opportunities in her community because she was too self-involved. 
and she needed to be given back in some way to help get her a little bit out of her own and out of her own way, if you will. So over over time, her anxieties just became much more manageable. She was less triggered, if you will, by the same thoughts, interactions, experiences than she had been before. And her lifetime fear and anxiety and panic disorders basically melted away. Occasionally, she would use um, a number of herbs that we use to help support adrenal function when she felt very stressed out, licorice root, ashwagandha, things like that, that would help her. And it was nice to have something, a go-to thing to use instead of an Ativan or a Trazodone or a benzodiazepine that she had been addicted to in previous decades of her life that weren't really addressing the underlying problem and the underlying cause of, of her challenges. So that was just one wonderful success story. You know, very compliant patient, wanted to come in, a lot of self-agency around being able to do the things that, that I mentioned for her. The desire has to be there too. So. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, um, Amy, this has been so very enlightening, enlightening for me, and I hope for others as well. You mentioned um, some places that we could contact if we want to um, a doctor who practices naturopathic medicine. In addition to that, do you have a website or um, and uh, how would one get your book? You bet. Thank you for that opportunity to share that information. My author website is dramyrothenberg.com. It's just D-R-A-M-Y-R-O-T-H-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. You can find everything related to You finished even now what? A field guide for cancer survivors. You can also find me on, I have a wonderful, very robust Amazon author page. You can just type in Amazon author, my name. I, every day uh, in the several months leading up to my uh, book launch, I I had been and continue to post videos, short videos, photographs, uh, links to articles I have written. I have written extensively throughout my almost, calling 37 year career. So if you have a topic that you're interested in, you can type in your name, my name, not your name, my name, and the topic you're interested in. For instance, you could type in Amy Rothenberg GERD, if you have gastroesophageal reflux disease, or Amy Rothenberg COVID. And I have written a lot on a number of different blogs in the blogosphere, you could say. You can find me there. You can also follow me on LinkedIn and, and Instagram if you're interested in that kind of thing. And uh, I look forward to hearing from any of you and encourage you to look for a naturopathic doctor closer to you. Okay, Amy, thank you so much. And I wish you uh, continued good health and success. Take care. Thank now. you so much. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Extraordinary People. To learn more about Shirley Wachtel and to subscribe to the show, head to ShirleyWachtel.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Extraordinary People. Thank you.